You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. It is an honor to be with you. This feels like a second home, even though I may not have met some of you. Um, please know I've been praying for you, with you. And um, I'd like to share a little something with you. You remember, um, if we go back and rewind when we were kids, remember playing that game, Musical Chairs? It was a great game. Uh, and the way, in case you're not familiar with Musical Chairs, the way it works, you set up like chairs in a circle, and you turn on the music, and you start walking around those chairs while the music's playing. And after the music stops, right, everybody's got to find a chair, don't they? The kicker is, there's one less chair than the number of people, isn't there? And so someone's left without a chair. And so they're out. And then what you do is you take another chair out and you turn the music on and you do this whole thing over again. And you know how you're kind of, you're doing like, it's like a duck dance, right? You get by a chair and you, you duck, you, and then you go, and then you stop, and then you go. And, and you keep going, taking out a chair every time until there's just two people left. Two people, one chair. And you know how that works. It's like a sprint stop and sprint stop. And you stop, but then you go again because the person sprinting behind you bumps you in. And it's just this never-ending cycle of chaos and anxiety. In this game, it really teaches us two things. It teaches us two tactics. It shapes two behaviors. Right? You're either always running to the next chair, never stopping, or you're standing next to a chair, never moving. The whole game, you are either frantic or frozen. And the thing is, we continue to play that game throughout the rest of our lives, don't we? Living in this constant fear uh, of the music stopping and not having a chair to sit in. Frantic, never stopping, or frozen, never moving. And like the longer we play this game in our lives, the higher the anxiety rises in us distracting our attention and drawing our affection further and further away from God. And in the noise and the chaos of our world, it, it begins to drown out his voice until we can no longer hear him calling out to us. And, and, it, and it's there that we see in Scripture, in, in the midst of the noise and the chaos of this frantic, panic life, that, that we hear God calling out to us saying, Stop! Stop playing that game. Just, just, take, just take a hot second and be still. Get your breath and allow the noise to quiet. And in the stillness of that silence, know that I am God. You don't need to be. Stop trying to be. That's what we're going to see this morning as we turn uh, to Psalm 46 looking at, at a spiritual practice, the spiritual practice being these regular rhythms that, that deepen our awareness of God and our affection for God, we're going to be looking at the spiritual practice of silence and solitude. This regular rhythm of setting aside time to just simply be with God, quieting the noise and calming the chaos. Because it's there in, in the stillness that I want you to hear God inviting you this morning to experience peace, to experience his peace, a peace that I think we all long for, a peace 
that the psalmist is going to show us we find when we live under God's protection, when we live in his presence, and when we live by his power. And so the psalmist, he begins in Psalm 46 with a reminder that living under God's protection brings us peace. And let's be honest, we are quick to forget, aren't we? Uh, how many of you forgot your keys or your phone when you went to go get in the car this morning? You don't have to raise your hand. We know it was all of us. You forgot, like hopefully no one forgot their kids when they came, but we're forgetful people that need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of who God is, what God has done, and all God has promised to do. We need to remember so that we don't forget the protection he provides. And so look here with me how the psalmist begins. He begins Psalm 46 saying in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I love that word. Uh, I love that word refuge. Because uh, you think about you think about safety and security, don't you? Uh, a place of a protection that you can run to in times of trouble, the psalmist says. It's a, it's a place of protection from our enemies. And so uh, you, you hear the word refuge, you might think of, of like an animal refuge, right? Protecting endangered species from their enemies. And who do you think their enemy usually are? They're us. We're protecting them from ourselves. But this isn't just any refuge. This is a, this is a strong refuge. This is a, a shelter for, to protect you during the storm, one that's not going to blow over. Right? This is a bunker that will protect you during battle without ever being infiltrated. And that's who God is. He is our strong refuge. He is our safe place, Eugene Peterson says in the message. A safe place we can run to when we find ourselves in trouble, knowing that God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. He is always there, always willing and wanting to help and offering protection that brings us peace. He goes on to say in verse 2 and 3, Therefore, as a result of who God is, we will not fear even though the earth gives way, even though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, even though its waters roar and foam, even though the mountains tremble at its swelling. When I, when I read this, I, I feel as though the psalmist is describing the events that took place uh, this past February in Turkey. I don't know if you remember, but uh, Turkey, uh, ex- uh, the entire earth literally trembled as they experienced a magnitude 7.8 earthquake. Uh, you guys know a thing or two about earthquakes, right? You began the pandemic with an earthquake, if I remember right. Uh, thankfully, your buildings, from what I understand, were still standing. That was not the case in Turkey. Thousands of lives were lost. Tens of thousands were injured, and millions were impacted as their homes and businesses were destroyed. And in an instant, right, everything that once seemed so secure in their lives was suddenly shaken. That's the chaos the psalmist is describing here. He, he describes the seas, and the seas in ancient Near Eastern culture, the seas were uh, representative uh, of chaos, and the seas, they were, they were roaring in with such force that the mountains, right? Think, have you seen these mountains move? No, they're gorgeous, but you've never seen them move, have you? No, but these mountains, these images of permanence and power, these symbols of, of certainty and security that every morning you wake up, you see that same view out your window, these mountains now trembled and they cowered at the water that was rushing in and they took these mountains out to sea. They were consumed by the chaos. And these roaring waters that the psalmist describes, they're believed to be the invading Assyrian army. 
Uh, it's believed to be a story that we read in, first, or, uh, in 2 Kings 18 and 19. The, um, the nation of Israel, you might remember, it was, it was a kingdom of prominence and, and power under King David and his son Solomon. But since then, the kingdom, it, it fractured into two. And having already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, the invading Assyrians, they set their sights on, on Jerusalem, the capital, and the, and the southern kingdom of Judah. And, and Hezekiah, the king, he trembled as they began capturing their fortified cities up in the north. And the Assyrian king, he, he sent messengers ahead of him to Jerusalem, telling the people not to depend on their king and telling Hezekiah not to be seized by his god. And so Hezekiah, he, he called out for his friend. His friend's name was Isaiah. You may have heard of him. And Isaiah, he, he prayed, and then he wrote his king a letter. And he told him in this letter, do not be afraid. Like, I know there's plenty to be afraid, but do not fear. They will never enter Jerusalem. And he was reminding Hezekiah in this letter that, that God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is, he's present with you and he will help you. He was reminding him that living under God's protection brings peace. Even when you feel like the water's rushing in and you only got one nostril above water, even when it feels like the entire earth beneath you is giving way. And so you're like, great, thanks, Pastor Ash. If, if it's that easy, then why am I still playing this game of musical chairs today? Why can't I stop playing? Why am I always either frantically running around or, or frozen and I can't move? I, I, I think it's in part, at least, because we expect God to deliver us from the trouble, don't we? We expect God to prevent it from ever having occurred in the first place. And when God doesn't live up to our expectations, sometimes we don't do what we just sang. Sometimes we don't worship. Sometimes we don't turn to God. Sometimes we run from him, don't we? And we end up turning to anything and everything else thinking they'll provide the peace that we're after. We, we turn to ourselves thinking we're, we're arrogant enough thinking we can get ourselves out of this on our own. We become arrogant. We become dependent on others expecting them to get us out. And when all of that fails, we become hopeless, don't we? Like it's real easy to just, just give up, wave the white flag, and say, I'm done. I don't know what else to do. And the anxiety just grows, and we feel even more alone and more lost, don't we? And the noise and the chaos of, of, of life, it, it distracts us from what we know to be true, which is that God never promised to prevent our troubles. No, it says here he promised to be present with us in the troubles, didn't he? And God is faithful to that promise. God never promised to deliver us from our troubles. He promised to be with us in the valley of shadow of death, didn't he? And God is faithful to those promises. God is our refuge. He is where we turn to for protection as we weather the storm when we're afraid. God is a very present help in our trouble and our source of strength that we trust in when we are weak, when we are afraid. Therefore, the psalmist says, as a result of who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised to do, even though there's plenty to fear out there, isn't there? There's plenty to fear we will not fear. And then he says this word, Selah. We don't really know what it means, which means 
when theologians don't know what a word means, they want to go make up meanings for what it means. I kind of view this word, you know what an automatopoeia is, right? It's a word that actually, it's like rough when a dog barks. It just sounds like what it sounds like. That's a really bad definition. <laughs> Look it up after. I think that's what, what Selah is. If, if, we, if we think of the Psalms, the Psalms are in some sense the church's prayer book and song book. If we think of the Psalms as a song, think of Selah as a pause, um, a measure of rest, a full measure of rest, allowing the sound to reverberate as if we were in a massive cathedral and allowing that silence to settle in, allowing God's protection to surround you and to calm you and to bring about peace. Selah. Living under God's protection, it implies something. It implies living in God's presence, doesn't it? Because it's only there living in his presence and abiding in his love that we'll find peace. So he goes on to say in verse 4 and 5, he says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Setting's changed a little bit, hasn't it? The second stanza is very different. And uh, what, I, what I imagine when I read this, I... Um, I imagine sitting in, a, in the patio of a cafe in Paris. Right? That's where I'm going to. You all have that spot in your mind. It might be a ski slope for you or a trail or all those things we can't do in Chicago because we have to create trails uh, through little tiny forest preserves. You, you, this is where you go, oh, that sounds so awful. Um, but I picture Paris in this. You're sitting on the cafe in the morning, you're taking a sip of your latte, you're taking a bite of your croissant, and you hear uh, an accordion playing La Vie en Rose in the background. It's like peaceful. That's what I picture here. Rather than the water roaring in from the depths of the unknown, it's it's gently flowing through the city. It's like the Seine flowing through Paris. And this city, unlike the mountains which, which fell and were drug out to sea, this city is, is immovable, it says, for no other reason than that God's presence resided there. This was the holy habitation of the Most High. And His presence is what calmed the chaotic water. His presence is what quieted the noise and brought peace to the city. And we get... We get glimpses of this city throughout Scripture. It's like the previews before a movie, so to speak. We, we, we get a preview in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, he was taken on a tour of this city in a vision, and he, he saw that river. Uh, the prophet Zechariah, he spoke of, of living water flowing out of Jerusalem, which is fascinating because there's no water in Jerusalem. It's in the middle of a desert. And the Apostle John, he was given a vision, wasn't he? He was given a vision of a, of a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, a, a city of peace where God's presence dwells among his people. And, and John writes that flowing from that throne of God through the streets is the river of the water of life, bright as a crystalline. And what they are all doing, they're painting an image of this eternal dwelling that we look forward to. Not some spiritual disembodied existence in some faraway place, but a a physical embodied existence here in our resurrected bodies, in this renewed and restored creation, a place of everlasting peace where we experience God's presence. 
And what we know is that Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? That it has come, that this, this peace has begun to arrive, but we know it's not yet in full, don't we? Not until his return. And so the chaotic imagery back from verse 2 and 3 is very much a present reality in our broken and fallen world as chaos reigns, right? He says the, the nations are, are raging in uproar like the rushing water. Uh, the kingdoms are trembling and crumbling and being overthrown. But what we know is that this won't reign forever, that peace will reign forever when Jesus returns. And so in the brokenness, we have hope. He says here that the Lord of hosts is with us, that God is present with us in this very space right now. He was here before you got here. He was welcoming you in. His Spirit dwelling in us. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob, He is our fortress. He is the one in whom we find peace in the presence of chaos and the conflict that consumes our world. He is our ever-present chair that will never be pulled out from under you. Say law. This peace, it comes not just by living under God's protection and in his presence, but also he goes on to say, uh, living by God's power, knowing that God alone has the power to, to usher in this peace that's being described that we all desire. And so the psalmist, he, he cries out in verse 8, kind of like a carnival barker. You remember those? Um, he's like, come, step right up, step right up. Come and, and behold the works of the Lord. Well, I don't know why they always speak in a creepy voice like that, but they do apparently. Hey, he's calling out across the noisy midway. He's like, step right up, folks. See the marvels of God who, who makes war cease, breaking the bow and shattering the spear and burning chariots with fire. And just like walking up to a side show, you're like, it's too good to be true, isn't it? This isn't really happening. And I think we can read something about the peace that is to come and we can do the same with God, don't we? Because we all long for that peace. A day, think of it, a day with no more violence, no more bloodshed, no more war. A day with no more death and disease. A world with no more invasion or colonization of other nations. No more enslavement or oppression of other people. A world that has no need for a military or defense department. A world with no automatic weapons or semiotic weapons or any weapons of any kind. A world where there's no more stories of innocent victims of violence inflicted by those who abuse their power over them. And I'm pretty certain you have either experienced one of those stories yourself or know someone who has. And we long for this peace. And what we know to be true throughout Scripture is that we are called to be peacemakers, aren't we? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We are, are called to partner with God in bringing about peace, a peace that is not simply the absence of conflict, but is the presence of something. The presence of shalom is the Hebrew word, a presence of, of wholeness, a, a presence of, of flourishing for, for all God's people, for all of God's creation. And we see throughout Scripture, we are required, we have a job to do, we are required to do justice, to love kindness as we walk humbly with the Lord. God says in Micah 6, we are to learn to do good and to seek justice and correct oppression, Isaiah begins by saying in his opening chapter. 
we are called to this all the while knowing we don't have the power within us to do this, do we? We're called to do this relying on the power of God in the midst of this. All the while knowing that only upon Christ's return will the promised Prince of Peace execute His judgment, renewing creation, righting the wrongs and restoring all that is broken and ushering in the fullness of this kingdom of peace that is already here but not yet in full. This is a city where there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain anymore. And the more that we come to live under God's protection and to live in His presence and by His power, the more that we begin to experience His peace. Peace in our lives, peace in our relationships, peace in our world, feeling His love, hearing the voice of the one who calls us His beloved, our Abba, our Father. But as Henry Nouwen writes in his book, uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son, he says, the, father, the farther I run away from the place where God dwells, the less I am able to hear the voice that calls me the beloved. And the less I hear that voice that calls me the beloved, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world the more we continue to play this game of musical chairs, running frantically and standing frozen. And the drift, it doesn't, you don't just wake up one day and it happened. No, the drift is so subtle, you almost don't even know how you slowly begin to lose trust in his voice when you hear him. And that leads you to no longer even listening for his voice. You just begin to tune him out entirely until you can no longer even recognize the voice of the good shepherd calling out to you. It's nothing more than noise in the background. And that is why the practice of silence and solitude is so helpful in our journey of faithfully following the way of Jesus together. Because in the solitude, we separate ourselves from the chaos for a period of time. And in the silence, we separate ourselves from the noise for a period of time. And we enter into this place of refuge where we hear God calling out to us, calling us back to Him, back into the loving arms of our Father. And I love the story of Elijah in 1 Kings where God wasn't calling out in the noise and the chaos of the world. No, God wasn't calling out to Elijah in the wind. He didn't call out to him in the earthquake or in the fire or in the big things. He called out to him in a subtle whisper. Be still. Stop whatever you're doing. And listen to me, he says. Some of you I know are teachers. Um, I had a teacher friend the other day who was talking about this, and she starts the year uh, with this thing. Like She'll snap her fingers a couple times. like, listen, focus, eyes up here. She probably had it a little better than that, but you get the idea. A whole bunch of first and second graders need that eyes on me. And our loving Father treats us like those same rambunctious children sometimes, saying, be still. Listen to me. He says, be still and know that I am God. And so you don't need to feel that weight of trying to be. Instead, let me be. I will be exalted among the nations, God says. I will be honored throughout the world by all of creation as its creator. And so come and live under my protection, he says. Live in my presence by my power so that you can experience 
my peace. I remember the um, first time I really practiced uh, silence. I was reading this book, uh, The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velotis. Uh, I was working on my thesis project in seminary, which became our spiritual formation group that we call The Way. Uh, I promise I had that name before Mandalorian came out. Also, the other fun thing is people are like, oh, are you in The Way? Sorry, I'll move. Um, I didn't think some of that through when I named it. But I remember the day that I was reading this book, and I'm, I'm sitting out on the back patio, and he tells this story of uh, Mother Teresa. And it's Mother Teresa's being interviewed by a reporter. And he, uh, he asked her, like, what do, you, what do you do when you sit with God? And her answer was, I don't talk. I simply listen. And the reporter's like, oh, okay, I, I think I kind of get what you're saying. So he asked, uh, so then what is it that God says when you pray? Mother Teresa replies, he doesn't talk. He also simply listens. And then there was this like long, awkward silence where like she just owned him right there. And uh, the interview, he, like, he was confused. He was flustered. He didn't get it. And Mother Teresa, he, she breaks the silence by saying to him, if you can't understand the meaning of what I've just said, I'm sorry, but there's no way I can explain it any better. And there was something in me in that moment after reading it. I was like, I want that. And so I put my book down, and I sat in this uh, Adirondack chair in our patio. And I sat there, and I closed my eyes. And after a while, I felt a chair moving over toward me. The chairs were not moving. I felt a chair moving toward me. And as I sat there, I felt a hand rest on my hand. And then an arm around my shoulder, and the next thing I know, I'm leaning into God, crying, feeling his presence and his love in a way I don't think I ever had. And hear me, like, I don't experience God's presence in such a profound way each and every time I go sit in that exact same Adirondack chair at the same time with the same book. Trust me, I've tried to recreate it, but that's not how it works. But what I have done is try to continue this regular rhythm of silence, deepening my awareness of God and deepening my affection for God simply by being with Him. Like that friend that you sit with, and you don't feel the need to feel the void with sound and noise. You can simply just be with each other. And, and that, in some sense, that is prayer. I think we, we, we talk a lot about prayer as speaking to God, right? The words that we say. But prayer is so much more than that. It is, I'm sure you've heard Pastor Ryan use phrases like this. It is a positioning of ourselves before God, isn't it? An opening of ourselves to God. Prayer is more about a posture you take before God than the words you say to God. And that's what the spiritual practice of silence and solitude is all about. And so I'd like to encourage you this week, I was thinking, should I, should I ask him for like five hours of silence this week? No. An hour? No. Ten minutes. I'm asking you this week to set aside ten minutes for silence and solitude with God. Calming the noise quieting the chaos, and just being with him. And can we be honest, like 10 minutes might seem like an eternity. 
If you met my son, Ethan, he couldn't stay silent for 10 seconds. Uh, I don't know where he gets that from. 10 minutes with God this week. And uh, I want to kind of give you a a liturgy to follow, so to speak. And so the first five-ish minutes, you're going to spend praying and reading. And then that kind of leads you into the last five minutes just sitting and spending time with God. And so I want to, I want to kind of describe this time for you and then uh, let's experience it together. Let's uh, have a time of silent reflection afterwards. And so the first step for this is, is to prepare, right? Prepare for your time of silence with God. Uh, grab a pencil and a journal and find a quiet and comfortable spot. Uh, if, if you've got little kids in the house, uh, mom and dad, you might have to tag team on this one to create a quiet spot. And uh, set, a, I rec- set a timer for 10 minutes so that you're not always wondering, is my 10 minutes up? Just wait for the timer to tell you it's up. Set a timer. Take a few deep breaths in, exhaling slowly, calming your body. And as distractions enter your mind, and like, hear me, they will. It's not if they enter, it's when they enter. Uh, you'll think about work the next day. You'll think about groceries. You'll think about the kids. You, I don't know, I keep getting distracted by the mountains that we don't have back in Chicago. Um, when you find that distraction, like acknowledge it. Don't try and fight it. Just acknowledge it and, and do three things. Write it down in your journal. That's why you've got the journal and the pencil. Write it down. Just a couple of words so you can remember it later. Eggs and milk. Write it down. Release it. And then return to God. And then pray over your time together, marking your entrance into this time with God as both sacred and special, opening yourself to him by praying a prayer that I'm going to share with you uh, by a man of Ted Loder called Gather Me to Be With You. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton's book, Invitation to Silence and Solitude, begins with this beautiful prayer. And then I want you to read Psalm 46, reminding yourself that living under God's protection and in his presence and by his power brings you peace. And then spend that time in that peace, experiencing it, feeling it, embracing it as you enter into this extended Selah. Just sit in the stillness with God, this refuge with God, whether it's your bedroom or your patio or a library, wherever it might be. Aware of his presence, right? Be still and know that he is God and that you don't need to be. And as you do this, don't don't rush anything. Don't force anything to happen. Just breathe and be. Sitting with God. Spending time with God. And also, uh, know this. um, If you fall asleep in this, it's really okay. Because I think what it says is you felt so safe and secure in the arms of your loving Father that you could sleep in silence. And when the alarm goes off, thank God for this time together, this refuge. Thank him for his peace. And hear me, I want to say this 15 times, but like the best part is you can't screw this up. You can't do silence wrong. If you go and you just sit there quietly for 10 minutes and don't say anything, okay, great. And know that if this first time you don't have the Adirondack chair in the background, that's okay. You still, that's God's presence right there. That is the... uh, Letting us know you can't do this wrong. Just be with God. And so you guys want to try this real quick? You know, we had two types of teachers growing up. We had the teachers who assigned homework and the teachers who gave you time to do the homework. 
think we all know which ones we like better, and I'm not going to ask any of the teachers in the room to be, your kindergarten, there better not be homework. I want us to try this right now. And so let's be, here's the way we begin with this at, at home. I want you to uh, open yourselves to God first by positioning your bodies. Everyone sit back straight up, feet on the floor, and, and if you feel comfortable, extend your hands with your palms up, ready to receive from the Lord. Be still and know that he is God. And now let's prepare our hearts. I want you to take a couple deep breaths in. Let it out. And pray this simple breath prayer of young Samuel. Here I am, Lord. Speak to me. I am ready to listen. And then I want you to join me in a corporate prayer. The words are going to be on the screen. Join me in this prayer. Gather me to be with you. Read this with me. Oh God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Soothe my tiredness. Quiet my fretfulness. Curb my aimlessness. Receive my compulsiveness, and let me be easy for a moment. O Lord, release me from the fears and guilts which grip me so tightly, from the expectations and opinions which I so tightly grip, that I may be open to receiving what you give, to risking something genuinely new, to learning something refreshingly different. O God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. Amen. And now just close your eyes and listen as I read this psalm over you. This reminder of God's peace. Remembering that living under God's protection brings us peace. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains trembling at its swelling. They law. Remembering that living in God's presence brings us peace. There is a, a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. And third, remember that living by God's power brings us peace. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. And now I want you to enter into this refuge with God for these next couple of moments, this sanctuary. Simply being still and knowing that He is God, that He will be exalted among the nations, exalted in the earth. Certain that the Lord of hosts is with us at this time in this place and that the God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's sit in that. Let's just simply breathe.
Father, I'm sure as we said this morning, there are two types of people in this room, those who came here ready to worship and those who were not. And while I'm grateful for them all, I'm extra grateful for the second group who, in spite of the chaos and the noise and all that life is throwing at them, got out of bed, got into their car and came to this place. And whether they knew it or not, whether they wanted to or not, they came to meet with you. They came because they desire your peace. Just a taste, just a glimpse. They came to this refuge, this safe place. They came to be with these people who they know love them. People who bear one another's burdens with each other, who weep with those who weep, who rejoice with those who rejoice. We worship together, we pray together. Listen to your word read together. And I pray that this room would forever be marked by your presence and your peace for your people that you have called here. I pray that we would be people who would not be afraid of the silence, but embrace it ever increasingly over time. Knowing that you are here are with us, that you are our refuge. When we're afraid, when we're scared and alone, when the anxiety is out of control, draw us back to you. Help us to hear your voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd calling us out to you, to us, your children. We pray all this by the power of your Spirit. In the name of your Son, amen.